welcome to this special ProPass webinar series. We have started a collaboration with ProPass Consortium and are publishing their webinars in podcast format so more people can benefit from their useful content. In short, ProPass is an international research collaboration platform of cohorts using Taiwan accelerometry to explore the effects of physical activity, posture, and sleep patterns on a wide range of health outcomes. Without further ado, let's jump to ProPass webinar. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to finish um, our kind of joint talk by just highlighting some of the key challenges um, that arose during the implementation of this in our large scale um, cohort study, because collecting this kind of data at scale, um, I think Mark and I learned possibly the hard way, is, is really quite challenging. Um, so the, the protocol which, which Mark's described was really quite complex. And as, as Mark was mentioning earlier, um, you know, it's vitally important in a study such as BCS70 that the participant experience of taking part in the study is as, you know, is, as, is as positive as possible because it's absolutely vital uh, that we retain their engagement in the longer term. So we were really, um, we were really concerned to make sure that um, this ask that we were making of them um, was, you know, was as, you know, was as, was, an, was as positive an experience as possible. And this meant that um, ensuring that this protocol was working uh, as well as it possibly could in all respects, um, we had to finesse our, our protocol over multiple rounds of, of, of piloting, tweaking um, various aspects of it along the way. One of the key challenges was around the training of the nurses. So um, uh, as we mentioned, there are about um, seven and a half thousand people who were approached about doing this. Uh, we had about 110 nurses who were working on the project. So all of those nurses had to be trained um, in administering this, this protocol as, uh, alongside all of the other measures that they were trained to collect. So they had to ensure they had to be they they had to be extremely organized, um, ensuring that they at all times had a batch of devices which were fully charged so that they would be, you know, that so that devices had enough charge to last for the eight days of wear time, um, which which participants were asked to wear the devices for. So it was the day, the day of the visit, then the seven days that followed. They had to make sure that the devices were sealed correctly uh, so that they were fully waterproofed and then placed correctly on the respondents on the respondents file. So we we had to trial a whole variety um, of different approaches to sealing the devices. Um, we purchased, I've lost count of how many different kinds of heat sealer, which we provided with the nurses, provided to the nurses. Um, it had some curious impacts on the targeted advertising that we in the study team um, received. Um, it was clear that we all had a, a, a strong interest in this kind of niche heat sealing equipment. And actually finding a supplier which could provide 110 heat sealers was a massive challenge, actually. And it took it took a really long time to, to uh, equip the nurses with the equipment that, that we needed. And the adhesive 
also that we use to stick the uh, device to the respondent's thigh. Um, so one of the 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 summer in which we um, in which we were doing this um, was was an extremely hot summer, and we had we had not, we had lots of reports from participants of the devices falling off, um, and so we we had to then kind of we had to yeah we had to experiment with um, with a whole variety of different adhesive tapes until we found one which seemed to be doing the job and keeping the devices stuck to the participants' thighs um, throughout the throughout the seven days. The nurses had to initiate the devices um, before they placed them. And we were really keen to make this process as, uh, as seamless as possible. And so we wanted to integrate uh, some software which would automatically initiate the devices when the nurse connected it to their laptop within the, the broader piece of software which the nurses were using to record all of the other data that they were collecting. So that was a big challenge uh, for, for our fieldwork agency, uh, NatSense kind of IT um, department to, to come up with a program that would do that seamlessly um, and effectively. Device recycling was also really important as well. Uh, so we, we worked very hard with NatSense, the fieldwork agency, to develop um, an efficient procedure for recycling the devices so that when the devices were returned to us, we could download the data from the devices, set them back up again for reuse and get them back out to the nurses as quickly as possible uh, so that the nurses never ran out of devices um, when they were making their visits. So all of this was, you know, presented some major challenges. So this was extremely costly, both in terms of money and also in terms of staff time so the device costs themselves so the devices are expensive and we needed a large volume of devices to administer the project at this kind of scale um, the time within the nurse visit as well so it took about 10 minutes in total and that was uh, the time required for the nurses to explain the task to participants to gain their consent to then seal the device with the heat sealer initiate it first, then seal it and then place the device. So 10 minutes of nurse interview time um, at scale is costly. And then the device management costs as well. Um, the fieldwork agency costs, all of this mounted up to a really quite considerable cost. There was also a huge impact in terms of um, time required by the study team. And I think it's definitely fair to say that we underestimated this. So accelerometry was one element of the overall project. Um, but the disproportionate time that we spent uh, developing, you know, dealing with dealing with the uh, dealing with this one aspect of the overall project um, was quite eye opening. Um, there were a whole I mean, so we've, I've talked about the, uh, the development of the protocol over the considerable rounds of piloting, but there were a whole manner of issues um, which we had to deal with along the way. So skin, just a few examples. So skin irritation, we had, yeah, we had participants in, in quite in, in larger numbers than we would have liked um, contacting us, um, often with fairly graphic photos of their irritated skin. Um, and um yeah we we actually had some we had issues where participants were 
play were putting photographs of their irritated thighs onto the BCS 70 Facebook page and advising other participants not to take part, which was a bit of a concern. Um, devices being placed incorrectly as well. So um, yeah, there, were, there was an issue that we faced where um, in the early phase of the project, some nurses were placing the device on the respondents via upside down. And then we were sending out summary feedback to participants um, and where the devices had been placed upside down, this feedback uh, suggested to the participants that essentially they've been lying down for the full seven days. Again, um, participants were playing, you know, some of them were, were posting kind of negative comments about this on, onto the sort of social media platforms, which was a concern. Fortunately, we were actually able to flip the data uh, and correct it. So there was no loss of data when the devices had been um, when the devices had been placed upside down. But all of these kinds of issues ended up taking considerable time for the study team. We've already touched on this as well, but the data management um, was, a, was a big issue as well. So although the ActivePal uh, data files are smaller than some of the data files created by some of the alternative devices, we are still talking when we're looking at sort of five and a half thousand participants, the, we are still talking about a huge amount of data. And so the kind of transfer of files and storage of files um, were, were quite challenging. And the time taken uh, to uh, crunch the data collected by the devices to produce summary variables, which are you know, usable by the research community, was really quite considerable and involved a really significant investment of time. So um, overall, there's, there's absolutely no question that the implementation of accelerometry in BCS70 was successful. Um, the compliance rates that we achieved, we were really pleased with. They exceeded our expectations, particularly with regard to the um, with regard to the return rate. We were we were anticipating losing a much larger number of devices um, than was actually the case. I think we were basing that we were we were basing our return rate assumptions on the experience that we'd had when we administered this in administered a similar approach in the Millennium cohort study with our with with our younger cohort members. The return rates that we got from the youngsters um, was was considerably lower than the return rate that we got from our 46 year old BCS 70 participants. And so this, you know, all of the data that we've collected has, has added a tremendous richness uh, to the study and is now available um, as a as a resource um, for the research community. Um, but yeah, as I've just outlined and hopefully made clear. Um, collecting acceler accelerometry data at this kind of large scale is is hugely challenging, and we need to recognise that the you know the resource required is huge. Um, and I just wanted to finish though um, by um, making clear that the all of the data that we've collected uh, is available to all of you um, via the UK Data Service. The website addresses is there so it's freely available um, for everyone to use um, that's the summary data um, contact you know so all of the derived variables that we produced we can also make the raw data available to uh, researchers um, on request uh, to, to cls i'll finish there um, happy to answer any questions Matt, Mark, thank you so much. Fascinating um, presentation and congratulations to you and your team because a massive feat um, to, to be able to do that. Um, any questions 
feel free to put up your virtual hand or just unmute yourself and uh, talk away. There was one that was in the chat, which maybe while people are thinking about their question, I'm not sure. I don't think it was fully answered. But uh, a question was, could you describe in more detail the heat sealer used when fixing the device to the thigh? I know you talked about that, Matt, but I'm not sure if you talked about the specific heat sealer. I can't remember the specific model of the heat sealer that we used. I can check that out and um, and and circulate um, to everyone um, that, but I'll have to check that. But essentially it was, um, it was a kind of, it was the sort of product which is available for, for sealing, uh, for, for sealing kind of foodstuffs essentially uh, to preserve them. Um, so it was, it was that kind of device. Uh, it was quite, a, so it was quite a bulky piece of kit um, but the specific model now escapes me. So I'll have to follow up with that. Sorry. Can you, unless you can remember, Mark? No. <laughs> Fair enough. There's short, a, short response. There's a few additional questions in the chat. So the first is about incidental activity. Um, and Manasseh has asked if you've considered light activity as a separate behavior. I think that one's probably directed at Mark. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just yeah. reading that again. Yeah. Okay. So just, I'll just, just to address the first part of that. Um, so if you, so the derived variables that we have, um, if you're not familiar with active power, um, in essence, it provides you with um, sitting time, um, standing and uh, total activity. And then, as I said, we derived MVPA using the cadence cut point. Um, so, it depends how, you know, you can do various calculations to derive light activity, depending on how you want to um, formulate that, uh, whether you want to include standing. But uh, yeah, in essence, from the data, you can certainly um, calculate light activity. We've recently published a paper on standing, looking at characteristics of standing. That was published in um, uh, Journal of Epidemiology, uh, Community Health. Second question, just reading that again. Um, yeah, so this is getting, I think this is getting at this differentiation between sleep, yeah, time in bed and waking time. So, yeah, what, what we do with that, um, the algorithm in essence um, separates out waking time and sleep from time in bed. That's all you can really um, get from that. Um, so, I mean, that's, once you've got that information, you can then be more confident about, you know, sitting time, not being confused with sleeping, uh, bedtime. Um, so I think there's still a lot of work going on in that area. And as, as I showed you in the slides, there is certainly, you know, difficulties in trying to assume that time in bed is is biological sleep because clearly it, it isn't um so i think that's a, a huge area of, of development actually that's, that's still ongoing thanks mark a few more questions this one is from matt um did you recruit and train nurses every data collection um so we contract the data collection uh for all of our cohort studies to um to some of the large um research field work agencies in the UK 
And so, as I mentioned, we use NATSEN um, for the age 46 survey and NATSEN have their own panel of nurses who work on um, various studies, including the health survey for England, um, the English longitudinal uh, study of aging. So we use NATSEN's nurses for this project. Um, so they are, you know, they were already trained in many of the biomeasures which we were um, collecting as part of this study um, because they're common using, you know, using common, using the same sort of protocols as, as are used in the other studies. But this accelerometry was, was something new. So they were all trained uh, specifically um, for our study and how to do exactly this. And I can see that I can see there was a question to Mark around job type as well, which I can answer. Um, so did we collect job type uh, as part of the study? So yes, we did. Um, yeah, we've in, in the study, we've over time, we've collected what well, we've aimed to collect information about all jobs that people have done. So we have complete employment histories, but we we did we did collect full details about the nature of the work that they were doing um at the time that they wore the accelerometer we haven't we haven't actually no i think that's that's probably interesting i i sort of um made i suppose i'm making the assumption actually that um professional occupations record more sitting time um i don't think we've actually looked at that um possibly in the um age paper we did I think, you, Matt, you preempted Fabian's question. So asking if you looked into work-related or school-related activity compared to leisure time. Um, but then the second follow-up is if you had any additional questions next to the sleep diary. So whether that's on diet, circadian rhythm, um, assessing if someone's a morning or evening person. So that comments from Fabian, if you're following the chat. Um, so we did um we do we did collect very extensive um information about diet um so follow in the seven days which followed the nurse visit participants were randomly allocated to so this was the seven days that they were wearing the um accelerometer on two of those seven days um which were randomly allocated participants were asked to complete a full um, 24 hour uh, recall questionnaire about everything that they consumed food and drink wise. Um, so that's that's quite interesting in that we can potentially we can look at kind of energy intake as well as energy expenditure via the accelerometer. We didn't collect any information about uh, circadian rhythms or whether someone's a morning or evening person but we did um, collect some information about sleep quality um, so whether we had a series that we had a small battery of questions in the survey itself mm. which asked questions around um, you know where people were asked to rate the quality of their sleep and how rested they felt in the morning and uh, a couple of other things around around their sleep yeah, there's there's some uh, job strain and job stress questions as well. Um, so if you're kind of interested in going down that pathway of um, of the the sort of the the stress and anastatic load, then we there's an absolute stack of questions around st uh, stress and mental health as well. A couple more questions in the chat. So this one is from Jen, coming back to sleep time. So have you done or are you considering any work about? developing an algorithm to identify sleep time 
And can you share any details about the algorithm you used? Yeah, the, well, the short the short answer is no, because we have run out of funding to, to, to uh, well, we ran out of funding um, to continue to sort of develop the, the raw accelerometry data. Um, but, you know, that is something, some, certainly something we're interested in doing. If that's something you're interested in doing, um, as Matt said, the, the raw data are, are available at the moment. Um, so if, if the sort of scientific, you know, the data are there, because I think a lot of these algorithms um, are obviously released as open access. Um, uh, and, and so it's a, it's a kind of a collaborative process, really. So, yeah, if, if you're interested in this area, I would definitely encourage you to, to, to get, get hold of the data. But that's not something that we've actually managed to do uh, at the minute. Yeah, but obviously very interesting. Yeah, very interesting area. And then one more question in the chat. Um, and then if anyone wants to ask one, feel free to raise your hand. Um, so this is from Richard. Um, just wondering if there's any current plans to repeat the huge feat. Uh, so another another round of accelerometry measurement. Richard, Richard, you're trying to, you're, you're going to make me sick. <laughs> do, do, doing this again. <laughs> I'm, I will hand that over to Matt. I'm. <laughs> oh, we're not including accelerometry as part of the current survey um, at age 51. Um, so the next follow up is, um, well, is likely to take place in about five years time. I, I think I'm going to have to be non-committal um, on whether that will involve <laughs> the, a repeat of we're, this or not. We'll get We'll get, we'll get Richard to come and lead that one, I think. <laughs> so I think that might be all of the, uh, the questions in the chat. Does anyone else have any, um, any questions? If not, I might finish off with one, which actually leads on quite nicely from Richard's uh, question that he just asked. So maybe uh, to both of you, because you might come up with different answers. If you were to go back and be able to do it all again, what one thing would you do differently? And it can't be using active parallel accelerometry. <laughs> I, I'll go first, Matt. I'd, I'd say that we should have asked for more money from the BFF. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say exactly the same thing. <laughs> I think that's the key point, isn't it, really? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. We, so I guess I would follow up. What would you have done with that money? We had to sacrifice a postdoc, didn't we, Matt? So, so the, the, the bottom line was that in order to, to – we underestimated the – so 10 minutes of nurse time, it, it sounds like nothing – but when you're doing a survey of that magnitude, 10 minutes of nurse time is, that's about 100K, isn't it? In, yeah. that, in that magnitude, it's, so 10 minutes nurse time, you're talking about 100,000 um, pounds. And that's the cost of a postdoc. So, so that's what we have to sacrifice. Um, in essence, when you do the maths. Yeah, and obviously because we didn't have that postdoc, that had a number of very big implications for um, uh, resource. Yeah, Matt, did you have anything to add? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think um, I think Mark has uh, summed it up well. <laughs> I think I'll leave it at that. So I think the take-home message is to write a good budget justification in our grants and make sure we don't underestimate the cost <laughs> of including. Uh, 
active file, but particularly or any type of accelerometer, probably. Exactly. Four minutes left. So last call for any questions. Uh, Joe, there wasn't any. I'm not looking at the chat, but no more in the in the chat. No, that's all in the chat. Lots of thank yous, though, as well. Yeah. Well, I'll also thank you on behalf of the ProPass Working Group and uh, and Joe and Natalie as well um, for really a great presentation and some really stimulating um, questions that have come from you all that have attended. Another plug again, um, please do join us on uh, December 2nd, I believe, for Ulf Eklund and Jakob Tarp, who are going to be talking about harmonisation um, of accelerometer data um, in studies. So again, I think that promises to be a great presentation. Thank you all for your support and thanks once again to, to Matt and Mark for a really great presentation. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.